KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Thursday, April 22nd. The Tijuana River Valley has a lot of trash. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. Federal regulators are meeting with the county on Friday to discuss resuming the use of the single-dose Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccines. That's according to County Public Health Officer Dr. Wilma Wooten. We just don't know that right now. We will know after Friday. The use of the J&J vaccine was paused after reported cases of rare blood clotting. Locally, the J&J vaccine was being prioritized for use in hard-to-reach populations like unsheltered residents. Following the guilty verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial, San Diego civil rights leaders are calling on the County Board of Supervisors and the San Diego City Council to formally support the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act. County Supervisor Nathan Fletcher says the board will vote on whether to support the bill in May. The federal legislation had passed in the House in early March. The Museum of Us, formerly the Museum of Man, reopened in Balboa Park on Wednesday. The museum management say they want to tackle pay equity at the museum. Staff who were furloughed are now being brought back at $20 an hour with benefits. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. The Tijuana River Valley spans the U.S.-Mexico border, and it's frequently swamped with sewage-tainted water. But those cross-border flows also carry trash into an ecologically sensitive region. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson says people on both sides of the border are working to get the trash problem under control. Chris Peregrine walks down a gentle slope in Goat Canyon, just north of the U.S.-Mexico border. He points to a thick steel cable that spans the basin that the cross-border flows frequently fill. Yeah, we have an anchor on either side and, um, and then a heavy-duty heavy cable that connects the, um, the trash boom and lets it span across the entire sediment basin. The trash boom is fencing that's designed to stop everything that floats. There are tires here and there, but plastics dominate the trash. Single-use plastic bottles pile up near the barrier, but that's not all. 
We're also seeing quite a bit of foam. And you can see that there is a couple different types of foam here. This is a typical polystyrene. But then also, um, we see a lot of this type of insulation type foam. The trash boom was installed in 2005 to keep sediment and the garbage from fouling the nearby Tijuana River estuary. We're about, um, we're about a half mile away from an area that is, um, has uh, salt water influence of the estuary right now. If the sand and trash were allowed to flow unchecked into that area, it could completely choke off the ability of the habitat to function. That mixing, that salt water coming in on high tide and going out on the low tide, and that, that salt water mixing with the fresh water of the Tijuana River, is what makes this place so biologically diverse and, and so special. Peregrine says state officials allow the plastics and sediments to accumulate and then they bring in heavy equipment to remove the trash and scrape off a layer of sediment. The battle against the trash is also being waged in a Tijuana community that's about a mile south of the border. It's basically a canyon where people have settled and it goes all the way up and it has three different names. Los Laureles and then Alacranes and Las Flores. It's one tributary. Faye Creveche of Wild Coast says an international grant allowed the community there to build a trash boom inside a concrete sediment collector. The idea is to stop the garbage from even reaching the United States. And it's stopping the sediment and trash that comes floating with the water and also underwater. Wild Coast's Rosario Norizagarre is helping organize the effort in Mexico. She trades small food items for plastics in an effort to create an economic incentive to pick up the trash. And they urge the community members to protect themselves if they go into the concrete collector. Yes, 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 yes. Per the rules, per the protocol, the team that arrives to work specifically in the area of the desander must wear safety equipment. She's teaching the community how to manage the trash boom, but that's only part of the equation. The community has to raise awareness regarding such a change of habits, a change in behaviors, and how they are currently handling their waste and how it directly creates a contamination problem in the estuary. Even with those efforts, the estuary on the U.S. side of the border remains under assault. Every time it rains, trash flows down the Tijuana River Valley, the main channel, as Peregrine calls it. There is no formal facility here to capture trash. So in Goat Canyon, we can clean the trash out of an area with heavy equipment. But when you come to an area like this that's currently supporting nesting species right in amongst these trash flows, it becomes very challenging to clean up. And while the trash is tough to clean up in the thick riparian habitat, it doesn't necessarily stay here in the heavy brush near Dairy Mart Road. It's going to start making its way further downstream. As it makes its way downstream, it breaks up into smaller and smaller pieces. And ultimately, it's working its way out into the environment in the ocean. Peregrine hopes that a combination of efforts around the estuary and in Mexico will help reduce the amount of trash that finds its way into the valley. And keeping the trash out of the delicate habitat could go a long way toward allowing the area to be the natural refuge it was intended to be. And that was KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson.
Restrictions on non-essential crossings at the U.S.-Mexico border have been extended through May 21st. The Department of Homeland Security says it's to deter the spread of COVID-19. But the lack of traffic at the border has the businesses there struggling to stay afloat. KPBS's Alexandra Rangel reports. It's been more than a year since non-essential travel restrictions were placed at the U.S.-Mexico border. Although U.S. citizens and people with working visas can come and go as they please, tourist visa holders don't have the same privilege. They also happen to be the demographic that keeps the economy going for the businesses in San Isidro. Executive Director of the San Isidro Chamber of Commerce, Jason Wells, says the chamber currently serves about 800 businesses. He says the majority are within a two-mile radius of the border crossing. So you cut off 95% of your, your, your customer base to any business. How are you going to survive, right? Wells says the Chamber of Commerce has made efforts to talk to the Biden administration. He recently wrote a letter to the president urging him to re-examine border travel restrictions, but he has yet to receive a response. And that was KPBS's Alexandra Ronhell. The local ACLU chapter is making another push to end the use of private immigration detention facilities in San Diego County. KPBS's Max Rivlin Nadler has more. Since a high of over 50,000 in 2019, the number of people in immigration detention nationwide has fallen to around 15,000 people. Lawyers with the ACLU of San Diego and Imperial Counties say that drop proves immigration detention is unnecessary, with no tangible impact on public safety or the functioning of the immigration court system, and that private detention centers, like the one operated by CoreCivic in Otay Mesa, are only prolonging the practice. Monica Langarica is an attorney with the ACLU. The bottom line is that people can be released, and the system will not fall apart. It will continue to... to operate as it has, people will continue to show up for immigration court. In a new issue brief, the group is highlighting allegations of abuse at the detention center, including a massive outbreak of COVID-19 in the facility last year. And that was KPBS's Max Rivlin-Nadler. Anglers have used the Loveland Reservoir near Alpine for years, but now they're worried its owner, Sweetwater Authority, is chipping away at the fishing program. Source reporter Jennifer Bowman has more. Loveland Reservoir is a special place for David Thomas. My mom used to drop me off when I was a little kid. This is where I learned to fish. Now he and other anglers are sounding the alarm. The fishing program has dwindled because the Sweetwater Authority lowered water levels to serve its South County customers. Earlier this year, Sweetwater removed over 2 billion gallons of water from the lake. The agency is also considering a consultant's recommendation to change an emergency storage policy. That could mean draining the lake further. Fishing at Loveland is allowed under an easement to the shoreline, but just how much shoreline is where the anglers and Sweetwater differ. Sweetwater says recreation isn't its top priority. Here's engineering director Ron Mosier. Our mission is to provide safe, potable water to nearly 200,000 people in our service area. That's our focus, and that's what the focus of staff has been and needs to be. Sweetwater hasn't taken up the consultant's recommendation, but the board chairman says it's under consideration. And that was iNewsource's Jennifer Bowman. iNewsource is an independently funded nonprofit partner of KPBS. 
Coming up, following the guilty verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial, we have an interview with San Diego City Councilwoman Monica Montgomery Stepp, who has long since fought for social justice and police reform in San Diego. That's next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Since the death of George Floyd, there's been a deep examination of policing and systemic racism on a national level and in San Diego as well. City of San Diego Councilwoman Monica Montgomery Stepp is chair of the council's Committee on Public Safety and Livable Neighborhoods. She has been a voice for social justice and has helped craft local police reforms. She spoke with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman. Here's that interview. You called the Derek Chauvin case a pivotal turning point. Can you expand on that? Yes. Well, when I was waiting on the verdict, I was waiting and having the feelings that probably many people around the nation and around the world were having. I was anxious. I was nervous. And although it is just a verdict and we received a conviction, it really did for a moment validate Black life. And so in that moment, understanding that there have been many cases that have gone the other way or have not even been tried, it it was a victory. I do think that we can take this and continue our work in reimagining the entire system of how we keep people safe in our communities I think it is pivotal. I think the verdict was pivotal, but it certainly is not all that we can do. Uh, But for a moment there, it did validate many of the things that we have seen in our communities. And so for that, I was encouraged by the verdict. Earlier in the show, we spoke to Mayor Todd Gloria about the proposed police reforms brought forward. How involved were you in crafting those reforms? And do you think they go far enough? Well, I am very encouraged to have a mayor that is standing on a police reform. I have been the chair of public safety and livable neighborhoods. This is my third year now. And every year we do have to do a work plan. So there were quite a few things in his reform package that reflected in uh, my work plans. And I think that that is a positive thing. Um, When you have a partner in a strong mayor system who is willing to move these things forward, it really becomes easier for us to obtain what ultimately we want to obtain, which is reimagining public safety. Now, I know that details are extremely important. And as we move forward, we have to ensure that the policies that we pass are crafted thoughtfully and that they do ultimately result in the change that we want to see you know, in our communities, in our neighborhoods. All right. You know, because recent data shows police are more likely to use force on people of color. How do the proposed reforms specifically address that disparity? Well, I think as we move forward and we look at doing consent searches differently uh, and also 
banning essentially pretext stops, that will reduce the amount of contact that officers have with residents who, for the most part, are not doing anything wrong. We see in that same study that Black and brown folks were stopped more frequently but had less uh, contraband than their white counterparts overall. So what that tells us is that there is over-policing in our communities. I think if we reduce the stops to where officers can do their job when it is needed and residents can also have the trust that they will not be stopped arbitrarily, then we are moving in the right direction, certainly. I also believe that talking about qualified immunity is, is very important. I believe that those conversations are being had on the state level, as well as being able to look at officers and their conduct in past law enforcement agencies to be able to determine if they're a good fit for another law enforcement agency. All of those things are important. They all revolve around accountability, and it all revolves around continuing our work in building trust between officers and community members. What do you see as the role of these citywide changes in bringing about larger change across the county, state, and even country? Well, I believe that we saw what impact that we can have when uh, we got together and the chief of police ultimately decided that carotid restraints and chokeholds would not be used again, that they would be completely banned. And that reverberated across the state. And so when we step out and we do things that we know are right, they will have an impact on our state and on our nation. It is not always the easiest decision to make, but we can look back and say that it was the right thing to do, even under pressure. So moving forward, when we talk about reimagining how we keep people safe in our communities, we will have to recondition ourselves from the things that we have been taught generation after generation about uh, what public safety means. And we will have to shed some of the fear that we have of each other in order to have a better society for everyone, where all people are treated equitably. And that is how we keep our communities safe. That's how we will do this. We have to make the harder decisions and we have to challenge ourselves based on what we have learned about these situations over and over and over again. And that was San Diego City Councilwoman Monica Montgomery Stepp speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day.
KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.